Thank you for being here this morning. It's a privilege and a special treat to be able to have visitors, to be able to have friends, to be able to have people of the community come and worship with us as we gather together to worship God. I want to encourage you that after this service is over this morning, that we have our Bible classes, that you find one of those, particularly your little children will enjoy the Bible classes as well as those of us who are adults, it's a good time for us to grow in our knowledge of God and what He would have us to be. A new year starts tomorrow, and how will you and I approach that new year? God has blessed us in the year 2017 in so many ways. There's so many things that you and I need to look back and say, What could I have done better? What will I do better in the new year? We're studying from the book of Ecclesiastes each week. And this week we're at chapter 11 and we're going to look at the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I've entitled this section Investment. But in order for us to appreciate where we're going to go and what we're going to study... I want to begin with a concept of stewardship. You see, stewardship is an important part or was an important part of ancient life. For instance, you would have a king or you would have a wealthy landowner who would have people under him. Many times they were slaves. And their job it was to take what their master gave them use it wisely, and then to return it. Let me just take a few minutes to view this from Scripture. For instance, in Luke chapter 12, verse 42, we read, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? When you find that one particular individual who puts his heart, he puts his soul, he puts his energies into doing what is right, he's going to be promoted. Think about in the world which you live. Many times you're at a job and you've got a person, maybe he's in sales, he gets out and he works hard, he pushes hard so that he can sell more than everybody else and... He is promoted. Maybe in the job where you work, someone shows the interest, they show the initiative. That's the kind of steward Jesus was talking about. In chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, and then verse 12, we read about a bad steward. He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward... And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called to him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking my stewardship away from me. I cannot dig and I'm ashamed to beg I have resolved what I will do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. He said, I've got an idea. 
I know I can't be able to accomplish much. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to think wisely. And Jesus went ahead and commended that steward because he said the sons of this age are wiser than God's children sometimes. But then you come to the conclusion in verse uh, 12 of chapter 16, and if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? You think about this year and your stewardship. What God has placed within your hands, how well have you handled it? Have you wasted it? Have you been the kind of person that, you know, didn't deserve what all blessings you were given? Let me use a third example. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 19. As you read Matthew 25, you realize that Jesus is foreshadowing the preparation of people for eternity. And he's going to use an illustration which they understood very common to them, that of stewardship. And he said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who he called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on his journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And also likewise he who had gained two talents more also. But he who received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You think about the ability that each person is given, and not only the ability they have, but the blessings that come with that. And so I ask you the question again. When you look at 2017, and you look what the Lord placed within your hand, How did you handle it? Were you a good steward or not? Well, chapter 11 is going to talk about investment and initiative. In fact, here's the outline that we will use, just two points. Verses 1 and 2 is going to talk about investment. And then verses 3 through 8 will talk about initiative. So for a few minutes, let's begin and let's explore this section. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. You know, sometimes when you read passages like that, you can say, I I, I don't really get it. Solomon is using poetry. He's using proverbs. He's using illustrations. And what he is doing here, he's trying to teach us something. And when you approach it, some people, particularly the old commentators, would say what he's talking about here is being philanthropic, you know, thropic, uh, helping people who are having a difficult time. Help a man who is in need. Do you give to that person and eventually it will come back to you? Now the Bible does teach that. The Bible teaches that whatever man sows, that will he also reap. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. But I don't believe that's what he's focusing on here. 
Because when you look at the context, it appears he's talking about investing. You cast your bread upon the waters and after many days, it's going to come back to you. Casting your bread upon the waters. The idea of the waters here carries with it the idea of some place that is profitable, beneficial. This morning I was reading Isaiah chapter 32. And you get to Isaiah 32 and verse 20 and he talks about that man who sows by the waters. He's a person who's found a good place. Cast your bread upon the waters. It's a maritime metaphor. We don't often think about that because we don't live next to the water. If you live next to the sea, you would certainly appreciate this. The Bible often uses this figure... Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Ezekiel chapter 27, he's talking about the king of Tyre. He said, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyre and say to Tyre, you are situated at the entrance of the sea, merchant of the peoples on many coastlands. Thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are the mist of the seas. Your builders have perfected your beauty. You drop down to verse 12, he talks about Tarshish. Was your merchant because of your many luxury goods? They gave you silver, iron, tin, and lead for your goods. Even in the book of Proverbs, as Solomon gives a picture here of looking at a wife, and he says, she is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. The idea, cast your bread upon the waters and Many days it will come back to you. The phrase many days brings back the idea of patience and taking time. You remember when Jesus talks about the parable of the soils. Jesus will say that that which is sown on the good ground brings forth fruit with patience. Sometimes you have to learn to wait. In 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 22 For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. Every three years. You put an investment into it and it's going to come back to you. Now you take verse 2. Give a serving to seven and also to eight. You're reading and you're thinking, okay, now he's talked about bread. You cast it upon the waters. Will you give a serving of that bread to to seven different ones? No, you you go ahead and give it to the eighth. If the bread of verse 1 is an investment, then verse 2 would refer to diversification. And you say, oh man, Solomon was really smart. He was able to understand that you don't put everything in one place. Some of you may have talked with a financial advisor this year and that financial advisor may have told you, you've got too much money in this and not enough in this and you need to protect yourself against the market turning bad. Maybe you ought to invest in this and invest in that and say, oh, I'm starting to see Solomon was pretty wise in this. Spread your investment over several items. Now why? 
for you do know not what evil will be upon the earth. You don't know what's going to go bad, what might happen to have a bad year. Or we would put it today, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Because if the person's carrying the basket falls, then all the eggs break. Spread it around. His point is you can't plan for every possible disaster, but having investments in several places offers some protection. Now you think about what Solomon is saying here now. And someone says, oh, I'm, I'm getting good financial. Oh, that's not what Solomon's interested in. You see, Solomon's talking about things that we understand in this life, but his focus is much higher and much greater. Now, for a few minutes, let's take that and build on it. In verses 3 through 8, he talks about initiative. You think about the stewardship that he's talked about here and, and the investment part of it. Now, What follows from that? Let's read verses 3 through 8. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. and the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that. Or that both alike will be good. Truly, light is sweet and is pleasant to the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Now, it's amazing if you're reading this carefully, and especially if you read this through several times, he changed from the maritime metaphor to the farming metaphor, that of the planting of of seed and the kind of work and industry that goes along with that. And you think about the farmer. What does a farmer have to depend upon? Rain. He needs rain. He's got to have rain in order for that crop to grow. And he says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls, there it shall lie. Now, um, that's got a certain inevitability about it. If the rains, if the clouds are there, you're going to get rain. Tree falls there is a good sense in which rain falls and there's a bad sense in which if you've got a garden and a tree falls in it or crops and a tree falls in it, it's going to ruin them. Good and bad are going to happen. And you and I cannot prevent it from happening, nor should we want to. 
Now what that does, that brings about people who would say, okay, well, this bad might happen or that bad might happen. So he says, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. A man who's constantly worried about what could happen will never do anything. You know, there's churches that will hoard money and say, well, we've got a good work that needs to be done. Oh, we can't spend that money because one of the air conditioners may go out. We can't do this because this might happen. Yeah, it might. And there's a certain inevitability about things. But you and I cannot allow ourselves to say we can't do anything because we're constantly worried about what could happen. You see, what if a farmer is constantly saying, well, it might rain too much. It might not rain. A tree might fall. If a person attempts to discern the perfect opportunity and avoid the bad, he'll never sow and he'll never reap. Let me take a tangent here for just a moment. Sometimes I'm concerned about people's choice of trying to find the right time to obey the gospel. I want to wait till it's the perfect day. Do you want me to tell you when the perfect day will come? Never. Well, brother so and so, I want him to be here the Sunday I'm baptized. Or I want this one. Or I want it to be a nice warm day. Or I want it to be this. If a person says, I'm going to wait till the perfect time to be baptized, you know when you'll be baptized? Never. Because there'll never be that perfect day for you. That didn't say there's not a good day. There's, every day's a good day. But if you're looking for perfection, you're not going to find it. You'll find some excuse in every day. The same thing is true about a person who's been trying to decide whether or not they need to get out and start living the Christian life rather than just sitting back and watching and criticizing. Oh, I'm waiting for this perfect set of events to take place. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 4. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. When I read the book of Haggai, I understand that the people there had a mindset with regards to building the Lord's house, the temple. It had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. They had returned from the captivity. And God had told them to build the house, to build the house. And I want you to listen to their response. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house shall be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and the temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
You say it's not the right time. Okay, well, when is it going to be the right time? You found the right time to build your house. You found the right time to remodel your house. When is my house going to be built? Now I want you to think, here's what happens with many people in life. You're a young person. You become a Christian. And you say, it's not the right time for me to step up and start taking an active part. I need need to wait until I'm a little older, a little more mature. I know a little bit more. And then you wait a little bit and you get married and you have children. And you say, I, I, I can't be real active now because I've got little children and I, I, I've got obligations there. And so I can't be active. Your children go a little bit and you're now trying to make money to be able to provide for your future. I, I can't be involved in, in church work right now because... I'm so busy, I've got to feed my family, I've got to work hard, they've got all these events at school. And then you get to the point where your children are grown now. And you, you look around and now you've let the opportunities of youth pass you by. Now you have neither the energy nor the enthusiasm because of all the times you've said no. And now you grow old and you look at your life and you, you realize there's many opportunities you had and you squandered them. And you look back and you say, oh, if I was young again, I'd put my energies, my focus, my efforts into serving the Lord. And now here you are, you're old and you've let those opportunities pass by. Solomon is looking at the initiative or the lack thereof that some people have. Now he says, as you do not know the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb, so you do not know the works of God. Now when you think about the word wind... In the Bible, there's the original word for wind is the same word for spirit. Same in the New Testament as well, by the way. And it's hard to tell in the context whether the word means the wind that blows or the spirit. And it's possible here that this could be the spirit of the child. And if it is the spirit of the child, it would suggest that one does not know how the spirit enters the child any more than he knows how the the bones grow within the womb. Here's a little child that is conceived in the mother's womb. All of a sudden, it's alive. There's life in it. What caused that life? This little child is developing from the egg and the seed and it begins to grow. What makes the bones grow? You and I don't know that. So much we don't know. If he's referring to the wind, I don't know from which direction the wind comes nor where it's going to go any more than I know how the bones grow in the womb. 
Listen to John 3, verse 8. Jesus said, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell it where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Whether the wind comes from the north or from the south, what causes that wind? Where is that wind going to go? I have no idea, nor do you. There's so much you and I don't know. But what does He tell us to do? In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper. Either this or that or both alike will be good. What He tells you is in spite of all the fact that you, there's things you don't know, in spite of all the facts that uh, things could go wrong, you still need to get up in the morning and sow your seed, and at night you need to work real hard. Solomon is stressing initiative both morning and evening. And if I'm going to apply this, morning would be early, evening would be late, morning early in life, later in life, Solomon is going to talk about that. In fact, those of you who read ahead, you're going to go down to verse 9 and read through chapter 12 and verse 1. You're going to say, Ah, I see where Tony's going to go with the rest of this next week. I see that Solomon's point is about the early part of life and getting with it while you can. He said, One does not know if one, both, will either be successful or not be successful. If I get out and I work hard and I knock on somebody's door and they come to the door and I don't know what they're going to say when they respond. I don't know what kind of mood I'm going to hit that person in. I don't know if the the efforts will be successful or not be successful. But I do know one thing. If you never put out any effort, you will never have any success. If the steward does not use what the, his master has provided, then he's going to have no good to it. You remember the one talent man? What did he do? He dug a hole, he put it in there, and he, when his master returned, he said, See, you have what's your own. Many times that's the way we look at it and say, Well, I wasn't successful, but the reason why you weren't successful is you didn't try. So what is Solomon's point? Use the opportunity that you've been given. Use it now. Proverbs 3, verse 28 do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow and I will give it when you have it with you. Don't put off to tomorrow what you can do today. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Ah, I think I'm starting to see the big picture now. He said, it is pleasant to the eyes to behold the sun. But he says, remember the days of darkness. There will be great days, pleasant as the sunshine, but there's also going to be dark days. And they will be there. 
Though a man may rejoice in the many years of good, there will still be many days of darkness. There'll be days where success will not be there. And so he comes to the conclusion, all that is coming is vanity. And what he's doing, he's looking at life here on earth and uh, he's saying, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he said, when I get to the end, that's all, that's all there is. It's over with. So when I bring all this together at the end, what is Solomon's conclusion? What's he trying to say about life? You only get one shot and you better use it well. You're not going to get another opportunity to live the life that you have now. The truth is, I have lived already the majority of my life. Many of you are in exactly the same position. Some of you are in a position where you're just starting. Some of you young people, I want you to listen to me. You are starting your life and you're having to make some very important choices right now. You only get one shot. You better make it good. The only way to get a return on an investment is to make an investment. If I never put out anything for effort, I won't get anything in return. That seems to be so basic and yet it's so profound. Unless you and I start putting out some spiritual effort, we're not going to get any spiritual benefit in return. Solomon's point is one should not let life's problems keep them from acting. Life happens. Will there be a day when you get up and you're going to look around you and everything appears to be bad? Yeah. I tell you, even preachers see that. You know, some Sunday mornings I come over here and I study a lesson. I think, well, that's going to be a really good one. And then I walk in the door and I realize somebody that is really precious to us is sick. Someone else has lost a loved one. And then you realize there's there's a discouragement there. And then you walk over and you talk to somebody else and you realize that there's somebody who's let sin capture their lives and you didn't know about it. And now here they are and they're, they're ready to give up on the Lord and they're ready to give up on the church. Then you're supposed to walk up in the pulpit and be excited and be enthusiastic and you realize that's hard. There's some days that you yourself are down. You walk in here and you feel like, you lost your best friend. You walk in and everybody starts cheering you up. And next thing you know, you feel like, well, hey, I can preach today. You don't know what the day is going to bring forth. But I do know one thing. If you don't put your effort into it and you don't work hard, you're not going to get anything from it. A balanced perspective is you have to recognize life's value but you don't put too much emphasis on this being it. This life will end in vanity. I want you to listen to 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, and then we're going to 
bring the lesson to a close. Some of you have already thought about the new year. I have. All of us, I think, want to lose a little weight. Few of you may want to gain some. You know that unless you do something, it's not going to happen. You can wish it all you want, but if you don't put out any effort, it's not going to happen. But I want you to listen carefully to what Paul observes with Timothy. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life which now is and the life which is to come. If you decided that you're going to try to be a little more healthy next year, I think that's a great idea. Let's try to do it together. But let me tell you something. I can be very healthy physically and contract some disease. But there's something that you can do that you can strengthen that inner man that spiritual part of who you are and nobody can take that away from you. When Paul ended 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said in verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. Eternity. Are you going to put out the effort? Are you going to have the initiative? Are you going to have the enthusiasm? Now, we're going to sing this invitation song. Are you going to have the initiative to say, today is the day I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to walk down here to the front and I'm going to choose to be a child of God and we'll baptize you into Christ. Is this going to be the day that you choose to start being faithful? We're going to sing, There's a Stranger at the Door. And if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing?